This episode of Strange Assembly is brought to you by www.l5rsearch.com. L5rsearch.com is a comprehensive online L5R card database with tools to assist in optimizing your decks, proxying cards, or simply finding out about unusual cards. Once you know what you need, www.l5rshop.com puts cards in your hands quickly and economically. This is Strange Assembly, episode 150, Legend of the Five Rings at Gen Con 2014. Wow, Jay, did you hear that? 150 episodes. We must be really special. Yes, very, very special. Definitely the word I would use. Yes, it has absolutely no alternative meetings whatsoever that could be taken as a negative. Nope. No. None whatsoever. So let's see, 150 episodes. If they're averaging about an hour, that's probably what, like 300 hours of you talking? <laughs> yeah, by the time you edit it down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. And oh, oh, they keep listening. Uh, I'm ready for my close up. <laughs> Are you going to put on a sixth finger for when you do your, uh, Handprints too? Uh, no. That is Jay Earl. I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Believe it or not, a tabletop gaming podcast, not just a freak show. Uh, I don't believe it. What's <laughs> what's what's the DC to disbelieve this illusion? <laughs> well, I guess that depends on what you think my intelligence is, because that's what defines my ability modifier, good <laughs> sir. Uh, well, my will score is bad, so I'll probably fail anyway. I don't know. You can, uh, did you see the announcement of the new Fantasy Flight End of the World series of RPGs, which officially <laughs> does the whole, you take yourself and then try to define your existence as, nice, as an RPG character. I missed that. I, I need to go check that out. That sounds hilarious. What, what was the one that RPG notoriously didn't give you an end score that was just like, it's you. Stop pretending. Well, the one that I can think of was the French version in nomine Satanis Magna Verata. My Latin pronunciation is not great. It was a two-sided book, and one side was you were playing the angels, and the other side was you were playing the demons. It was released in the United States by Steve Jackson Games, I think, as just in nomine, mm. without the Satanist part or the other. Right. So, yes, you, you may recognize in nomine, because if you've ever done your Latin mass or something, it's usually in nomine patris et fili et spiritus sancti, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Anyhow. Believe it or not, we like the title said, we actually are talking about Legend of the Five Rings today. <laughs> Maybe. Eventually. Alleg- allegedly. Eventually, that's supposed to happen. There, that was it, kids. Hope you're paying attention. <laughs> I said L5R. Done. So, yes, we, we, obviously we had Gen Con 2014. At this point, let's see, there's been three general review episodes. You, there was the interview with Case, so there has been L5R at Gen Con content on the podcast and then last episode was Doomtown. This will sort of be the last official 
Gen Con. Specifically Gen Con. In review episode, although we will hopefully be following this up in the near future with interviews with Brian Reese, which we'll talk about stuff at Gen Con, with Fred and possibly other story chain people, but I'm guessing just Fred, and then also with Chris Justice, the winner of the Big Deck tournament, because as much as I can pretend to know what I'm talking about in normal L5R, I can't even do that for Big Deck. <laughs> <laughs> Can anybody really? That that format is so strange sometimes. Did you see what the the central combo of his? I I, I did see when you posted the the deck list. Yes, yes. that makes me giggle hysterically. Yes, I guess we'll see if they ban something. I would assume holding. I think he's been playing that for a while, and actually I think what they'd ban would be the draft strongholds. I suppose, yeah. Yeah, those are not really intended to be real cards anyway. Right. So, but hey, I like, you know what, that's actually talking about something that happened at, at L5R Gen Con, so let's... Ooh, mission accomplished, let's talk about something else now. There we go, so let's start with something neither of us played in, just from, yeah, so a big deck, for those who, who have not looked into it is you can play with almost any L5R card. There is a ban list, because there has to be. Because insanity. Yes, age is not a limit. The format is Singleton or Highlander, so no more than one of any card in your deck. And you play with 100 card decks on each side. This deck, the central combo of it revolved around Divining Pool and the Governor's Estate Draft Stronghold. Divining Pool is a holding that, as an open, lets you flip up a face-down card that's in a province or in play. And for the most part, you would flip face up something that's in a province, or if your opponent had like a ninjutsu personality or some such nonsense, you could flip them face up. I think that was the original intent of the card, was to uh, jab at your opponent's provinces so you could know where you were attacking. But Governor's Estate, because it's a draft stronghold, and this is before they were really saying, no, 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 we're just going to put enough holdings in the set so that you can just draft them. There was this concern that a lot of times when people draft, they would not be able to draft enough holdings. So the draft stronghold lets you buy cards in your provinces, and and you can pay two gold to put them into play face down as two gold-producing holdings. So you use the draft stronghold to bring some, you know, giant monster Pontai personality or shadow dragon or chagatron. Yes, because I mean that's that's even going to get around loyalty, isn't it? Yes, it gets around all the restrictions. All I mean, like yeah, the the restrictions on the kami about when you can buy them, the loyalty restrictions. Something like Chagatai or the shadow dragon is actually much more useful. Because there are things that relate to gold costs that can jack the kami. Right. As nifty as they may be. But yeah, then you use the divining pool to flip them face up. And you, his deck necessarily has to be able to do other things. I know that he, at least his intention is that the deck can actually function even if you don't get divining pool. But I'm not really capable of analyzing the subtleties of the deck because, you know, big deck. That's right. why we'll hopefully have him on here. So, he won that. I would say Gen Con generally, I mean, I guess the first thing, no way around it really, is attendance. 
was not as exciting as, as, as big as one would have hoped. There were maybe 130 players between the main event and the second chance. 130 to 140. Yeah, probably. And there have been years when I think those two together would have been north of 200. Right. I mean, I, I definitely seem to call for the main event. What with that four tiers of 16 after at the end of it with people dropping, everybody was in at least one of the four tiers. Yes, that is correct. So, right, both the main event and the second chance had this tie in with the siege event. And I, it ended up being a little silly in the main event, I guess, but I actually thought that this worked out fantastically well. So yeah. the, especially for the, the second chance. So you had, one of the, the sort of competing things out there with L5R is what is the cut structure going to be? It used to be what I would consider a more normal cut structure where you just have a top 8 or a top 16. And then we've gone to more of this X2 thing where you have a 7-round tournament and anybody who's 5-2 makes the cut. You have a 5-round tournament and anybody who's 4-1 makes the cut. And Which, to be fair, in some ways feels fairer when you have significantly less variation in strength of schedule than something like Magic does with its best of three games, where you have much clearer strength of schedule for tied records. I don't know that I agree with that because, first, I, I don't think that there's more variation because of there being additional tiebreakers. The first tiebreaker in both systems is opponent's match win percentage, and so that is what it is. The fact that there are additional tiebreakers for Magic doesn't mean that there's more variance. Now, it's nice in Magic that there actually is a second tiebreaker, which right. there effectively isn't in L5R, because we're playing one-game matches. So, the two upsides of the X2, from, I think, the perspective of many players, is... Number one, period, is that it's easier to make the cut. And more players like it to be easier to make the cut because that means it's more likely that they will make the cut. Sure. Just whatever. You know, that's what it is. The other thing is that some people really hate the strength of schedule tiebreaker. And they really think it's unfair that, you know, if you cut to a top eight, that like one guy or two guys who are 5-2 will make the cut, but the other five won't because of strength of schedule. Right. Again, I feel like that's most when you have like, oh, these two have the same strength of schedule, the same tiebreaker. So DCI has just randomly picked one or what is it? Whoever entered the tournament first is the. In DCI Reporter, if you actually go through all of the tiebreakers, the final tiebreaker, because there has to be one, is is which name got put in first. But that almost never happens. I'm, sure. I am aware of one L5R tournament where that actually happened in the last several years, where they actually ended up with a dead tie. Right, and I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to say that it's not a weird edge case, but there certainly is in existence that one weird edge case where you feel kind of gypped at 17th or 9th, depending on the cut size. Well, 
the first question I would ask is whether or not you think that gypped is uh, a slur against the Roma. But the second question is, or I guess our observation more is that that doesn't really, I don't think that that really influences what people feel. I feel that that is something that people who want to make an argument will point to. But I think that what really people don't like about the strength of schedule tiebreaker goes beyond that. They just don't like the tiebreaker. They like, well, if one 5-2 player gets in, why shouldn't the other 5-2 player? You know, it's not fair. And and to me, I think it is beyond any doubt that if you win early and then lose late, which is what results in you having better tiebreakers, you played a tougher field. You had a harder time getting at that, that tournament record. getting that record than somebody who lost right at the beginning and then played up through. Right? I've done it both ways. No, no, Lots yeah, of people I... have done it both ways. And I think that that's a perfectly legitimate distinction to make rather than just having a an open system. Right. No, I, I agree. If you are going to have a point where only a limited number of the whatever of whatever five and two whatever get in i think that is the best way to do it so what what comes up as so as you can probably tell from this i really think just doing top eights or top 16s as appropriate for you know when you get to the various click over points in the numbers that is a system that i like better sure but when we had a choice not that you do anymore which is good because you shouldn't but when i had a choice as a to of which they did i did x2 because i knew that's what my players would like better <clears throat> and right now we have an events manager who prefers strict cuts actually if denine had his way in a world without limitations we'd be doing all best two out of three matches and it right. would be a strict cut so i still don't think l5r really gets done quickly enough to do best two out of three, but that's a conversation for another day. But the nice thing about what you had at Gen Con was that it was kind of the best of both worlds. On the one hand, you were just cutting to a top 16 for actually winning the tournament. You know, you are taking the 16 people who had the best records on that day, and you are just putting those most deserving people in a cut and and having them fight it out for the winner of everything. The rest of them get to go fight for scraps with the dogs. Yes, but at the same time, you're still playing for something. All those sure. people who were not doing what I would consider to be not that well, I can talk about specifically what happened in, in the second chance in a little bit, but you know what? I stunk in the second chance. I went 3-3. To me, that's stinking. Mm. And I made the cut. I'm right. I'm I'm not the the uh, uh, you know the high caliber tournament player that I used to be anymore. I, I'm just not. But but still, my sort of standard is it's a fail if you don't make the cut. Yeah, we have different standards. I'm, three three is my I did okay. Because I'm a bad player. Well, uh, yeah. So, but the player I played against in, right, th okay, first of all, 3-3 three, three was good enough then to make the second pod. The right. player I played and lost against in the elims of the second chance event was pumped 
to have made the cut, as it were, that to, to be able to continue playing and, I mean, it helped that we got another two foil sets of Ivory right. Edition on Commons. At least that helps me. <laughs> that sort of made me feel better about it. But I think it was doing that job. It's, it's kind of achieving both objectives. Now, that's not... That's probably not really something you can do in a normal tournament or Right, I don't know how you'd implement that at the Cote season. It's hard enough for them to come up with something that people want, but I, I guess you could do that at the Cote. Say, like, if you cut right, to let's a, go from fifty uh, different prizes throughout Cote season to a hundred and fifty different prizes throughout Cote season. That'll you'd have to do something like, okay, you cut to top eight, and then nine through sixteen compete for adding some points in, in if you think about something like this code okay, yeah, if, if you're doing a mega game where you were doing some kind of points, points thing yeah. I don't know that that would be a good idea it would be very limited yeah you can't possibly story effect it, yeah. you have some detailed story effect that would be awful and it would be a pain for the Kote organizer too like your Kote team is now committing to basically running two top eights at the same time Granted, one of them you're kind of could be like whatever, do what you want. You're 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 not really in it anymore. But but you'd be really annoyed as the TO if if like the main part of the tournament finished up and like they're still in the semifinals in the the nine to sixteen bracket. Yeah. You guys need to be get need to get done. I'm hungry here. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know. It, it's it's interesting. And for this, I think it worked. Very well. Like I said, more so for the second chance. As you said, Jay, the main event that did get big enough where literally every single person made it somewhat, but I bet those players liked getting to keep on playing for something. No, I'm sure, yeah. I mean, yeah, everyone who didn't drop got to keep going into some amount of elimination rounds. Yeah. And yes, I... If if I were good enough to actually be in the main event, I would have been ecstatic to be in one of the pods and still theoretically having a chance to do anything. <laughs> yes. But so, instead, I went and go, played Doomtown. So what you started the second chance and then dropped to go top sixteen in the Doomtown, your second Doomtown yep. tournament on the weekend. Yes, I. Yes, AEG is both happy and crying. I, I, I imagine mostly happy that I bought into a tournament. <laughs> that I otherwise wouldn't have. <laughs> it, yes. So let's rewind back. Thursday was an L5R day primarily for me, and in specific it was a Siege Heart of Darkness day. I think Siege may have actually come out today. It's it's September 9th as we're recording, or maybe yesterday. I believe yesterday was the official release of both it and Doomtown. Okay, yes. So if my Twitter feed is any indication, Doomtown is out now. Yes, Doomtown is out now. Also, Twitter does like Doomtown. Twitter definitely likes Doomtown. I only mocked it a little bit. <laughs> it, no, I mean, li- literally, because for, for reasons passing understanding, yesterday when I was looking at the Strange Assembly Twitter accounts, and there's, I guess Twitter actually has built-in Twitter analytics, God help me. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, really? I guess I'll click on that. And it's got the same kind of nonsense that like Google Analytics or Facebook does, where it's right. engagement and you know, 
number of people reached and that sort of thing. And I'll tell you what, almost all of the top ones were things about Doomtown. L5R players, you are falling behind. Slackers? Yeah, apparently. And that's despite the fact that I think that most of the Strange Assembly Twitter account's followers are L5R players. I think a lot of the engagement probably comes from things like people retweeting the Doomtown tweets, yeah, which has happened more than the L5R. But I don't know. That That is interesting. I suspect that it signifies nothing whatsoever about the games, really, because like, it's people looking at my Twitter feed, and I'm pretty sure that that does not mean anything. Probably not, no. But, okay, so Thursday was Siege Day, which was pretty cool. So I have been wanting to there to be a product like the Siege decks for years. I can't even remember, was it three years ago? Four years ago? I I remember it was after the 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 terrible Inari's Blessing Celestial came out. I could go look and see what year that was. I just remember having lunch with Reese one day at the Gen Con and him noting that Yeah, sorry, that that, that card of yours kinda Stunk did it. I'm like, yeah, that's okay. That can't all be good. Hundredfold cut was good enough for uh, for a while. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember at that lunch saying, "Come on, Reese, you guys have got to make one of these." So that clearly had no effect, or else this product would have come out two years ago. But it finally came out, and so I was signed up to play as the Siege deck at nine in the morning on Thursday, the very first time. You know, playing against that in this format. I think it got, uh, I think there was a little preview at maybe one of the Australian Cote or the New Zealand Cote. I can't remember. But so it wasn't the first time anybody outside of Playtest had played it. But I think I was the first person to play both sides out of Playtest, outside of Playtesting. Because I then immediately turned around and played as the Siege deck. Following that, I, I actually did consider signing up to play it multiple times, but that seemed like it would kind of be a jerk move because I knew that there would be other people who'd want to play it. So I just signed up to play with it the once, and then was able to get one of the spots playing at playing sorry playing against it, and then get one of the spots playing with it. I really liked it. I'm not going to go over all the rules because you know those are online, but. In general, the it is really the Naga deck sieging you. So yeah. it is really the, the Rokugani decks are trying to outlast the Naga deck attacking them while the Naga deck is on a clock. And if you... A literal clock, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's, there's 12 clock cards, and when it gets to the 12th clock card, that's the Naga player's last turn, and then if, if she doesn't win by then, she's dead. So... And if the players manage to take out one of the Naga players' provinces, then that flips up a clock card. Right. I mean, basically everything that they do is to 
that would normally win you a game of L5R instead is just advancing the clock. Yes. You, you can't actually beat the deck any other way than running out the clock. Yes. Literally, even if you destroy all of the deck's provinces, it doesn't actually lose from that. Although, unless it takes you that turn, it's probably doomed. And I think realistically, if you, if the Rokugani players actually win, a fight against the Dark Naga, then they probably win the game. Yeah, it's I mean, it, depending on when it happens and how it happens, it's not impossible for the Dark Naga to recover, but yeah. A lot of it's really like, we're going in there, we're defending, we're trying to attrit the Dark Naga's forces, we're hoping to lose, but have it be close enough that we don't actually lose our province. And then there are built-in ways for the the Rokugani players to be able to run away so that they can, if they're not going to be able to hold the province, they can then start ejecting their best units to right. keep them around for later. Although the most hilarious thing is one, at least one of those ways of eject is human only, because somebody was playing a non-human deck against it. It was like, I'm just going to use this. Oh, wait, I can't. I guess my... Asp Skirmisher just gets to be a speed bump. I enjoyed playing both with it and against it. It's got lots of crazy powerful effects in the Naga deck, unsurprisingly, right? It has to. Right. And they did a really good job, in my mind, of doing a whole lot of crazy powerful effects in a way that it's not really going to upset the uh, legacy scene that much. Because a lot of it is like, for the number of players, do something really cool, which, when there are four opponents, is a huge swing. When it's a one-on-one, not so much. Oh well, yeah, and that's assuming that they let these things be legal. In I, I don't know how much of that will or won't be. If the stronghold isn't legal in big deck or legacy or something, then it's not really going to matter. Well. To my recollection, the stronghold can be legal. It just, you know, without the rules, will lose before the game even starts. Well, yes, because it starts at minus 20. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's right. Right, it needs the rules of the Naga scenario for that to actually, you know, not fall on its face immediately. It's kind of funny how much rules text is on the stronghold and then one of the holdings, because there's all this rules text in there, or not rules text, but all this card text to stop the Naga deck from just getting to auto-losing to random things. So, for example, it's province strength is equal to 10 times the number of opposing players, and its province strength cannot be reduced. So no using Cone's Whisper to just reduce it to zero. You've got a holding that just says that any force penalty that would apply to three or more of your non-human personalities just doesn't happen. Not like you have to bow it to negate it like Bountiful Field. It just doesn't happen. That kind of stuff. Although we did uh, discover in the first game against the Dark Naga that they had they had missed one thing, which let us kind of jack up Brian in one of the fights. <laughs> the Agasha from Coils of Madness, I think, who applies that a list cap. of things, yes, like yeah. non-humans, call out whatever, but one of those is non-humans, and they have a maximum force of three, which is not a penalty. No. <laughs> so 
the stuff doesn't stop that. So yeah, we had the one fight where before Brian killed her, we got to nuke several of the real Naga with like range threes, which was very helpful. Mm. I'd imagine, yeah. Yeah, so as we all know, that ended up with the maybe we don't all know. The Dark Naga destroyed three. Half half the city, yeah. Half the city, yeah. And the way so there were six regions of the city, six districts, and every time the Dark Naga they started out in full health. Every time the Dark Naga won a game, one of those would be destroyed. Every time the human players won a game, one destroyed one, if any, would be flipped back. Now, what ended up happening early on was that in the first two days, the human players won quite a bit more than the Dark Naga did. So, by the by the end of two days, the Dark Naga had taken out nothing, almost nothing, basically. Well, okay, by the end of two days, the Dark Naga had taken out one thing, because the thing that and that hampered the humans in the long run was that, and, it, and the only thing that saved the Dark Naga from having a very lame showing of not destroying anything, was that multiple human wins don't help. In, in a row while the thing is not burning, yeah. Yes, yes, so right, we won the first game. And it didn't matter. Which did nothing. Then I won, I as the Dark Naga won the second game. And so uh-huh. I burned the, yes, I burned the peasant district. Then in the third game, the humans won again, which reclaimed the peasant district. In the fourth game, the humans won again, which did not... Re-reclaimed the peasant district. Yeah, it just, I mean, they don't lose anything, but they didn't gain anything. And so you kept on going that. So over the course of the weekend, I think the Dark Naga and the Rokugani players were 6-6, because Brian really picked up the pace there. On yeah. Saturday. Yeah, he did. Yeah, on the end of the day, Friday, maybe. It was fun to watch. But, yeah. Right. If you ignore that aspect, then, oh, well, a, a, you know, a 6 6 result would be nothing burns. But because the humans won first and then the Dark Naga won more later, it ended up with the storyline better result of some stuff actually burning. Yay. Hooray! So that was that was pretty good. Yeah, probably the only other oddity about it was that there had been a group of people online prior to the tournament, to, to Gen Con, who had been talking about trying to deliberately throw matches, like to sign up to play as the humans and then deliberately lose in order to... In order to have the Dark Naga win. Yeah, to have the city destroyed and... So at the beginning, Brian was very vigilant about that, uh, and I know. Right, he know he knows you. He knew you were going to do that, so he he was really watching you, Chris. Well, no, but he was. He made some comments to at the early on in the game to about to one of the human players when I was playing as the Dark Naga, but then on Saturday. Like, I think I mentioned this interview with Case. One of the Dark Naga's wins was against three human players, two of whom were playing Yodatai decks. That was hilarious to watch. And I'm like, really? I mean, that doesn't really seem like you're trying. I'm not saying that they were trying to lose. I mean, okay, they wanted to play Yodatai decks, right. but yes, they Chris, were going to lose. Chris, it's not. It, it, it's general incompetence, not uh, maliciousness on their part. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's that's mean. Yeah, they, yeah, I was gonna were, say that's not much of an improvement. They, they were just trying to have their own brand of fun, and uh, 
Their brand of fun was not terribly competitive, yes. Like, if it was even remotely an option, I totally would have done a Rattling deck, because that would have been hilarious to have the Rattling deck defeat the Dark Naga. That that would have been. I actually made a point when I was playing as the Dark Naga deck. Okay, one, obviously, you have to go after, when you're killing guys in battle, you have to go after things with battle actions that are going to jack you up. But once you've done that, you're left with a bunch of three-force guys, and you've got to take out somebody. My first target, whenever possible, was Xenathar. Because mm-hmm. that guy was just a, a traitor. He's supposed to be on my side. All the Naga are supposed to be with me. I called dibs. Get back over here. <laughs> yes. Die. Die. Let's see, what was the... Probably the most... annoying musing things <laughs> about the... Uh, <laughs> I like that word playing against the Dark Naga deck was, and this is, it's good that they did this, right, and they did it on purpose, was that I, of course, have Unsettling Gathering. I was playing my Arc deck, and so, of course, I have Unsettling Gathering in it, and I would really like to steal some of the incredibly crazy good attachments that are in the Dark Naga deck, but all of them attach only to Naga. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, that's why That's why you should have been playing Xenathar. Well, I had two Naga in my deck, Including the Dark Naga. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that was another thing that was always funny to see was the Dark Naga on the other side of the table. Yeah, th- there were uh, there were at least two, maybe three, uh, maybe more Dark Naga amongst the five decks at my playing, but we never did get him out. I did get out the Shakash. There was definitely one game. I think it was one of the Friday games I saw where not only did the Dark Naga show up to defend the second city, but he just got stacked with attachments. Yeah, you really don't want him to, to die. No. I think he had some shield walls. That was pretty funny. Uh, Yeah, the, well, the Dark Naga deck has a lot of ranged and melee attacks. I feel like if you have a group of people who sit down and build a deck specifically designed to defeat the Dark Naga deck, you will probably just crush it. Yeah, so you totally should. I would I would recommend that people mostly just take their normal decks and play against it. If you don't want to do that, Encircled Terrain is kind of broken against the Dark Naga deck. More more than a little, yes. And now, don't get me wrong, it's got four terrains of its own, because it gets to play with four of cards if it wants, because it's a Naga deck. So it, it's got four terrains of its own, and it's got four of another card that will destroy a terrain, so it's not like it doesn't have anything to do with your... to deal with your encircled terrain, but if encircled saves a province, that's amazing for you. Like, that... Yeah. A, a whole extra turn wasted for the Dark Naga... for the Dark Naga is extremely strong. No, yeah, I mean, again, it's on a clock. I saw a little bit of the game where Donnie was playing as the Dark Naga, and at one point, yeah, they dropped in Circle Terrain, and he just, like, started digging through half of his deck looking for a way to deal with that. Yes, and I know when at least one of the players had maybe, I think, maybe two, but at least one of the players had Encircled Terrains, and I knew he had Encircled Terrains by that point, so yeah, like, I'm, I'm sitting here like, the card that's not a terrain that destroys a terrain does has like three or four different action possibilities on it. And I'm like, no, these are sitting in my hand. Yeah. These are terrain destruction. These are not either of the other things they could theoretically be. Yeah. No. So I, 
I look forward to the Siege deck. I was not disappointed by the Siege deck. I would highly recommend that people go out and give it a try. I think it's $40, and it comes with the Siege deck plus three decks to play against it, including... It, it, like, it has Jade Pearl Inns yes, in it. it. including it's got a couple of Jade Pearl Inns and maybe a product... I mean, it's some other stuff. So it's got it's got rares in it for all the people who have been complaining about how Jade Pearl Inn is too expensive. <laughs> Mike. <laughs> you can get them like that. And unlike the Mantis starter deck, it doesn't screw with the... Uh, the distribution of new right. player stuff. Well, no, it, it's totally going to cut back on how many new Dark Naga players we're going to have if they can't get it because everyone's buying them for the Jade Prolins. Come on, Chris. <laughs> yes. So many that's, of the new Dark that's Naga totally players. totally a thing that would happen otherwise. For the literally dead faction. It's the Dark Naga faction led by the Dark Naga's corpse. We have actually seen his death. So we'll yeah. see. That was actually a really good story. Well, you, honestly, you know what the best thing about it was? We got a story. Oh, yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, I was there Sunday. I think you were off at, like, the dealers or demoing or something. I was there Sunday when they read the draft version of that, and it was it was a good story, even better when they, you know, had had time to flesh it out and put in all the details, because, like, I seem to recall when they read it, there was still one district in contention or maybe had just finished out. Anyway. Yeah, well, you were just excited because the Naga were coming yeah. back. Which is funny because don't they eat you? Uh, Not anymore, I hope. Yes, they are going to need to find a new source of snacks, that's true. So they don't eat you anymore because there aren't any more of you left. For, pretty much, yeah. Sad. Except you do get your own storyline tournament this fall. Hooray! Isn't it sadly in, like, Europe or something, so I have no chance of even pretending I can do anything about it? I honestly do not remember. Don't either. Yeah, not at all. These are what I remember. The one in Florida is the Emerald Championship, to name the first magistrate. The closest one to us is the draft tournament in North Carolina, and that's the something with the Blessed Guard, maybe? And then, although I don't think it will come up, I noticed someone complaining that there's one in Pennsylvania on the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Yeah. Which seems like a legit complaint, by the way. That does, um, and... Yeah, seems like an issue. I, well, you know, I write, you know, it's the T.O., you get to a, the T.O.'s got the, you got to put in for what you want your dates to be. But I'm like, Pennsylvania, where in Pennsylvania is that? I'm like, hmm, that's in Pittsburgh, I might be in Ohio for Thanksgiving. <laughs> I wonder if I could... So, I, I don't think that will actually end up happening. Uh, I, I, especially since when I kind of half-jokingly mentioned it to Katie, I believe I got what might fairly be described as a look of death. Have you recovered from your wounds yet? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm all Chris right. Is, there. Chris is recording this from his hospital bed. No, they're all, they're all psychological. Oh, okay. And that one is the one to find out what happened to the people that the Dark Naga kidnapped, that we haven't, like, what's happening to Moreshi. I would actually like to know what happened to Moreshi. Thank you very much. Right. I guess we're, I mean, we're going to find out anyways. It's going to be a question of he had, who he had finds it out. 
but maybe if maybe if I find out, it will lessen the chance that the that the answer will be, oh yeah, they're dead. He killed them and ate them. Om nom nom. Because <laughs> that would make me sad. Aw. Well, I like Mareshi. Anyhow, so the other tournaments on Thursday were the draft tournament that Greg Wong won. I don't know what we can say about that other than, hey, there was a draft tournament. Hooray. So this time, they this year they had three tournaments each day. There was the grinder, and there was that was the invitational. And then they also had a strict tournament, and that was for the right to choose which of the events got first dibs on the storyline tournaments for the fall tournament series. So right. if you win, then you're lo- you get to pick which one your local store gets. And did Corey Bean win both of those, or he got one, first in one and second in the other? Or I don't even remember now. But yeah, so he well he won the Thursday one at least with it. So he he had a pretty good weekend in Strictland since he won at least. Yeah. He got first or second in three strict tournaments, I think, with Dragon Dueling. So then on Friday you had again a grinder, the big deck which we talked about, and another one of these strict tournaments. And I should note, at this point in time, I do not have attendance figures for the grinders, for the main event, for the second chance. I don't know who made the cut with what. So I cannot really tell you anything objectively about what was or was not doing well. But we're still going to talk about them, so... Well, actually, I don't know that we really are. Like, there was the main event. I can't tell you anything about what happened in the main event except what won. I don't know. They haven't posted any information. I can, like, read people's tournament reports and kind of glean things, but we have no objective information. I I have asked Dan if I can get that. I don't know if they even have it. I mean, they have to have at least some amount of information, right? I don't know. Yeah, but there have been times when it kind of disappears into it's not like he has it it's on a computer somewhere but who has that computer right it's on some random computer and and somebody has to go ask that person to get it and then it has to be forwarded along and i mean really the ideal thing is that you're actually in the l5r area the whole time so you can kind of snatch or, or and you actually remember to snatch the pairings for round one and then you can right which have the clans on them and then you know, you're there when they announce the top 16 and you can write down who it was or whatever. Yes, if you were a better journalist. Yes, I'm not really a, <laughs> a jur- I know, I know I have a press pass at Gen Con. I don't really think of what we do as journalism. No. So, yeah, we, we do not have any investigative reporting. We, we totally need to, you know, break the story that Brian is getting kickbacks from the Naga or something. Yes. Okay, so there was Friday. I don't, I don't know anything about that. Um, so on Saturday, I played in the Second Chance Tournament. I'm going to have to say that I don't know how wrong I was about what was going on in Strict, but clearly I did not have it right. So let's start with what I had wrong about my own faction, which was that Based on what I had been able to build, I was not super thrilled about what we had, which clearly was um, wrong, because Dragon won. 
I guess I did not really think that just the straight-up dueling would do well enough, and so I tried to do much more of a hybrid thing. I was very concerned about the ability of decks to churn out lots of attachments and then have just tons and tons and tons of almost free fear twos and melee twos and range twos. And so I really did not want to play with any two force personalities, including things like Miramoto Niwa. So I actually had dueling in my deck, but I was pretty risky on my focus values and I had some Kensei cards and I was kind of trying to have as much in battle attrition stuff as I could. Like I actually played with Exquisite Nagamaki of the Fox Clan which can help with dueling and has a decent focus value, but actually has a a range 3, but does not have good force. And so I did not think that there was going to be a terrible lot of honor. And so I'm like, okay, this makes me not very good against honor, but that's all right. I want to be able to compete against... I want to be able to win attrition battles against uh, other military decks. So... In round one, I played against Jenny Langley. People may know from the forums as Miramoto Tsubasa. She creates a lot of of things like avatars for people to use. She is she the one that made our banners? No, that was just curious. Lene Jacobson, if I recall correctly, and so the Miramoto Tsubasa card is a it is named after her not the other way around if you go back into you know l5r search and look for miramoto subasa that she did not take her name from that that name came from her mm. and she was playing tamori which aren't really all the way together yet probably in strict at right remember this is pre-alits so i did win that i played against uh, matt Aseri in round two he was running Crab military with lots of attachments, although maybe the with lots of attachments is redundant. And I won that game basically on the back of Kensei of, of Cavalry Kensei guy with attachments. I really went all in. It's here's my cavalry guy. Here's his two weapons. You've got giant province strength, so I'm gonna use my heavy infantry dojo too. <laughs> so I mean it it took a lot of resources. All of my gold for turn three. Well, yeah, but but right, I took a province on on turn four. Well, it's a turn four attack. I took a province on turn four. I took a province on turn five. You know, he was able to take one back, but at that point, I was just up by too much. We had some entertaining, not final battle, but a big battle with uh, with Hida Kasada, the with the new one, with the little bear, because. That guy can be really hard to kill or fear because, you know. Yeah. The box gives all his guys plus one, and then he gives my fears minus one, and I had the fear eight combo out. But it's like, fear eight, that's still not enough to kill him because he's got a weapon. Okay, I'll destroy the attachment. Tactician, curses! Mm. Tack for four, that's not fair. Now he's even further out of reach. But you know, I, I ended up winning, so nobody's going to cover me over. So I, I won that. I played against Mark Armitage, who was playing with Spider, and I would credit my win to having infinite gold. <laughs> that, that still happens in this game, yes. Yeah, so on turn one, I bought two gold mods. 
yeah. judge. <laughs> On turn two, I bought a Bountiful Fields, my third gold mine, and two famous bazaars. I so so um. How do you make a deal with a demon? Is it, I mean, do you, do, did you actually have to go to the crossroads at midnight and bury a letter, or have they adapted to the modern age yet? Yeah, so that was a little, um, yeah. So I mean, he he did get multiple Ninabay Shiho, but you know, that was not gonna. That that wasn't good enough. I mean, it meant that I couldn't just load two weapons on one guy. I had to do. Poor me, I had to do things like, well, I bought three guys on turn three, so I guess on turn four, I guess I'll, I'll have to put a weapon on each of them and still have tons of money left to buy out my provinces. Right, it was ridiculous. He played long enough to have one opposed battle to see if he could make something happen. He got all his guys killed by the end of the battle, and that was that. But that was the last game that I won all day. I played against Matt Demand with Crane Blitz in round four, and I have to say, I don't think I could possibly win that match. That would is a horrible matchup for my deck. It's just, you're doing the whole, they buy gold turn one, turn two, buy a guy or two. I think usually just one, turn three, attachments. Because the Crane Stronghold actually still does produce extra gold to buy attachments. You've still got Akagi Sensei. The deck can run with multiple 3-4s for 4 gold guys. You've got the Crane Scout. You've got Zenithar, because he's a scout. You know, that sort of thing. And I I just got completely rolled. Games 5, 6, and then the Elimination Round were all against Honor decks. And in at least two of them I had bad gold. So I don't think it would have mattered that I had bad gold because, like I said, my deck was not was not set up to do well against Honor. If I had actually gotten Cav Kensei Guy, he, okay, that's a good opening. That's a good play against Honor. That didn't actually happen. I had some games where I had to be like, turn one, buy Heavy Infantry Dojo. Turn two, buy one single Heavy Infantry Dojo. Because that's the only gold that I've seen, right? I've got 10 gold at the start of turn 3. You're done. But, I, like I said, I, I don't know that I would have won anyway. I played against... My, my handwriting is terrible, so let's say Paul Horn. I'm sorry, Paul. I'm Paul Horn, Paul Hom is another possibility, but Horn seems more likely. Paul, Mr. Home, that's that's from Next Generation, right? Is that like, like Loaxana's butler? Sure. He was on Phoenix Honor, and I actually screwed up in that game, too. Not only did I have a bad goal, not only was it a bad matchup, but I made just a plain old play error, which I'm not not a big fan of. He got out a guy with Seeking the Way. It's the, not, it's the guy who straightens himself, too. Ah, uh, yeah, so he was doing it on the attack, too? Yeah, so he'd, so he'd attack and then and seek the way home, but the the first time that he did it, I should have Ring of Earthed him. Yeah. I should have Ring of Earth to stop him from going home, because then the Seeking the Way would have would been be bowed from battle resolution, oh, yeah. and he wouldn't have been able to defend with him. And I realized it like 15 seconds later, and oh well. So, curses. 
I played against Randall Frazier in round six. He was playing Crane Honor, and I lost that too, and and not even close. In the top 16, I'm again going to get killed by my my bad handwriting, because I can... Her first name was Star, and I can see that her last name started with a G, and it had a D in it somewhere. So maybe Gardner? But she plays at Gnome Games in Wisconsin, because I I recognize the store from them, because they actually have their own forum account, and they've run Kote there. So... She was very enthusiastic about getting the foil on comments because she's a much better human being than I am, not because she now had fancy cards for herself or something that she could sell on eBay, but she was literally like, this is great, people will love these, I can give them away at prizes and tournaments at the store. See, that is really what you want in a community organizer. Can you get on that, Jay? Nope, sorry. And she was playing Crane Honor, and I lost I lost that game too. So, like I said, three... Three honor losses in a row. I, and again, I right. So all I saw was what was around me. I like right. I felt that Crab and Spider were going to be substantially better in Strict than they were in Arc. How did that play out? I don't know. I know Scorpion and Dragon drew for first. I also I think there were also like two other dragon in top sixteen, so it wasn't just Corey as far as uh making a mockery of my ineptitude on the the day. But I, I don't know. So it it probably would have been painful if I had ended up doing better in the top sixteen or in the top thirty two, the you know, sixteen person bracket. Right. So I chose Karimi along with the other dragon players, which like I said would have been bad because then I would have gotten her killed. If I had actually managed to win my pod. Oops. Okay, so storyline results before I ask you what you think of the storyline results. Sure. The final in the main event was Crane on Crane. So. Yay, Crane Civil War Redux. Yeah, so the prize was going to be. These are going to be the two clans who have an actual real battle about Shibatsu versus Seiken. And whoever wins gets to pick the clan that they support, and the second place clan gets the other heir. And my impression of what happened, although they haven't officially announced this, is that the first battle is still going to be between the crane, but rather than being like some crane supports Seiken and some crane supports Shibatsu, the support of Shibatsu ticked down to the third place lion. And of course, who knows what it's really going to mean to say that the lion, like, I don't think this is going to lock the crane or the lion into permanently who they support or something like that. Because who knows how they're ultimately going to determine who wins what, you know, who who supports who or who becomes the actual emperor. Right. So, although we haven't seen the result of that, so did you hear Case's explanation for why he chose Saken for the crane? He chose Saken for the crane? Yes. I thought he chose K. No, okay. He chose K to be the person who defeated the Dark Naga. Right. So as the winner of the tournament, Kikita K was the person he chose, and so she, along with Tobe, who was the personality chosen by the second-place crane player, defeated the Dark Naga in the fiction. But then he also had to choose whether or not the clan he won with was supporting Saken or supporting Shibatsu. I'm thinking... Someone else entirely. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, and, and that made sense that, you know, they they had been rebuffed from having Saken before. They're not going to suddenly be like, yes, now we have you. Yeah, so so they are supporting Saken, and we'll see what that ends up meaning. And they were basically allowed to split the story prize in the second chance event because, and the split was because right for, just like for the main event, this was really playing for two story prizes. It was playing for who's going to be the hero who defends the military district. And it was going to be, you know, which clan is going to help the scorpion defeat Paneki's disgrace. So you had a scorpion and a dragon and the way that they were allowed to do it was the dragon selection would be the person who successfully defended the district. But then the scorpion would get to pick somebody who would participate in the scorpion defeating. So it's not so the scorpion aren't going to owe, owe anybody for defeating Panaki's disgrace. And they were, I think, they were able to guarantee that what is it, Kirei, the guy who had been hunting after the disgrace for a long time now, would be involved in taking him down. Right. So that seems like a a satisfactory result. The dragon players are now all literally drooling over the possibility of another topless dragon monk. Because let's face it, that's why people like Karimi. Because she doesn't wear a shirt. Pretty much, yeah. That's right. There is scorn in my voice for you fellow dragon players. And a prize that was kind of this awkward help the scorpion gets to just be like, no, the Scorpion get to make sure to take this thing down on their own terms, which I think works out pretty well. And again, like I said before, right, it's the second chance event, so I'm perfectly fine with the fact that it was not a super exciting prize. This is a consolation right. tournament. We didn't deserve a super awesome prize. Just keep telling yourself that as, as the bitter tears trickle down Yes. Did you know that no. Tears Roll Down is the name of the Tears for Fears Greatest Hits album? Uh, Don't make things up just to sound smart. <laughs> I don't know if knowing the name of the Greatest Hits album of a new wave band actually counts as sounding smart, but... <laughs> Uh, okay, I'll keep that in mind, Jay. I think you made up like half those words. <laughs> Uh, I guess that's L5R at Gen Con. There are certainly a number of things swirling around L5R right now, and there's the entirety of what's going on with the line in the sand, which is actually out. But I'm pretty sure that our time count for this episode is somewhere around an hour now, and I really hate editing episodes that are more than an hour long anymore. Hooray, no editing! <laughs> when you do actually edit, you should put a bleep right after that. <laughs> so it sounds like I swore. No editing would, um... It would it would make the post-production faster. But I do like to have some standards. We actually have had a couple of interviews lately where the sound quality did not end up where I would like it to be, like Cases... And both of them, like, sounded fine while it was recording, so, but yeah, Cases was not great, and the last, the most recent one we did with Donnie was just bad, the sound yeah. quality, sorry about that, guys. 
there are sorts of things you can do to try to prevent that from happening, but it's kind of a hassle and it usually doesn't matter and it requires the person you're interviewing to do work, which is not really usually what they're interested right. in unless it's like we're coming on the show to promote our product, which it turns out that Donnie right. and Case are not. If they're doing us a favor, it's rude to ask. If we're doing them a favor, it's okay to ask. Well, if we're doing them a favor, it's up to them, right? It's yeah. you know, you're you're paying your quarter, you're taking your chances. So yeah, you know, whatever. So do we? I'm sure we've left things out. Can you think of anything in particular we left out? Oh, do, oh, should we talk about Naga being a faction? That was probably important. No. Huh? No, no, we haven't left anything important out. <laughs> I was pretty excited when I heard that Naga were coming back as a faction. I and you were right, so yeah, no, I mean, again, I was there for the announcement, and that was really exciting because they read some chunk of the story that has now gone up on the website. Basic, basically, that if I remember correctly, that f- the section where. Sailu realizes that the wall is breached and he needs to go to the governor's estate. And then, without saying who was involved, the bit of the Dark Naga dying, and then the telepathy, whatever it was, leading to the Naga waking up. Yeah, the psychic scream rippling through the Akasha or whatever. Right. That bit. And then they announced, oh, by the way, Naga are back in 2016. Yes, yes. And I like long-range planning. Reggie was the one reading it, and you were there when he was there for the big night where he was Kozan and was just doing it up. So. Oh, yeah, we need to talk about that, too. Yeah, imagine him reading that story. He he did an excellent job of reading the story. Yeah, he's really their official reader-announcer now. Yeah. And he does an excellent job of it. Yes. So, yeah, I, I like it coming. I One of the things I'll probably talk to about Reese is the... It's not that it's wrong one way or the other, but, right, there were, like, reasons given for eliminating non-human factions, and presumably there right. were reasons for bringing them back. I think partially it's because the one of the non-human factions that they were eliminating was the Rattlings, which, no offense, Jay, but, like, were never serious in a literary <laughs> sense like the Naga were. Offense. Okay, well, tough. The Rattlings literally started as a joke faction. They they were a comedic. I They did, and even though there were attempts later to get away from that, they never fully got away from that. It, yeah, yeah, it, it just wasn't going to be, yeah. Yeah, right, like at some point they started writing the Rattling fiction so that when the Rattlings were talking to each other, they sounded like normal people. Yeah. And And I think the explanation was, well, it's a translation. They're talking in Rattling anyway. It only sounds funny when they're talking Rokugani because they don't know it very well. So there. Right. It's it's like how, you know, if a native pick a random language, let's go arbitrarily German speaker comes over and is speaking American, they're going to have a weird stilted thing going on where they're not familiar with English, so they're using German grammar and English words. Whereas if they're speaking German, they make perfect sense. Yes. I rock you like a truck berserker. <laughs> I understood that reference. So, <laughs> yes, yeah, so the are coming back. And they had the big L5R experience, which I, 
I guess mostly what I wanted to say about that was the other L5R-themed games in it, to some extent. I don't, because, right, it was there, they had the costume contest, David Winter won. It was a little funny, because he was first in line, and, and they're like, okay, you get two minutes to talk to the judges. And then he went up, and the judges were like ooing and awing over his costume, and they had to have his wife come up, because she was the one who made it, and it was like she had spent 16-hour days for two and a half months making his costume, and Reggie had to go and be like, yes, every other contestant will also have 15 minutes of (laughs) one-on-one time with the judges, too, which I suspect... So the rest of us are sort of like, uh, okay, how do we fill 15 (laughs) minutes? (laughs) Yeah, I... I, Yeah, I... like, And you were next. You had to follow Winner. And his costume was insane. It was... No, it was. No, it was very obvious. As soon as I saw him, okay, you've won. I'm now competing for third. (laughs) Yes. Everyone else was competing for best person who's not... Best costume not worn by David Winner. It was... Yeah, I. But yeah, you go up and and so they they had to like ask people like, well, what does this signify? What was that? And I I I kind of feel like just because I I know you and I've seen your costume before, like I want part of it's like I I would have sworn that the answer to that was just because I thought it would look cool to have LED lights under my mask. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it does look cool. And, and, and you had to be like, um, well, it signifies the... <laughs> it, it signifies the magical power of, apparently, I'm a specific character now, and not just a cool-looking costume that's somewhat L5R themed. <laughs> yes, yeah, because David's character, like, it wasn't just, I'm a great samurai, it was, I am this specific character, and... I have created a whole backstory for the character, and... I didn't know I was supposed to have a lineage for my costume. I don't think you were until he did, and then everyone did. And and then the guy did the prayer, which was both cool and kind of hilarious. Yeah, I was too far away to really... Or maybe I wasn't paying enough attention to actually hear what he was... No, it was way too loud to hear what was going on, but yeah... Yeah, but the, the judges obviously liked it because I think that was one of the reasons why they cited for yeah, they having cited. picked him as one of yeah. the. So yeah, so you got L5R Seventh Hero, L5R Guildhall, and L5R Lost Legacy. So let's see if you've listened to our what was our third? It would have been our third Gen Con review episode. I would say we were mm, unimpressed with Seventh Hero because it was the first time we had played it. Yeah. I still really like Guildhall, but let me give you a warning, L5R players, if you have the Guildhall, like if you've, even if you've tried it or have not. So in normal Guildhall, there are six different characters, uh, six different cards in all the different colors. And in the Guildhall expansion job fair, there are another separate set of six. And I think the original set of six works substantially better than the expansion six. But, because there are nine great clans, they give you nine different cards. And they're all just L5R re-themed versions of the same cards. It's five of them from the base expansion, and then four from... Or, or five from the base game, and then four from the expansion, which is a standalone thing. But here's what you should not do. Play with all nine. No, yeah. 
Guildhall itself, when when you add in job fair, it specifically says, well, you can play with as many as you want, but really what you should do is just pick six and play with those. I've played a game of Guildhall. One of the things we did was like, well, heck, here, screw that. We're just going to put all 12 of them together. And so if I loosened up on my words, I have a feeling like I've now allowed myself to say that several times recently when I don't think maybe I would have before. Anyhow. Mm. And it makes the game take too long. So we played with the Alpha Vard. It was the first time Mike had played Guildhall. And so the poor guy, not only was he, I think, super tired, but also he was playing with nine. So pick six of them. I I wish I could tell you which six I would recommend playing with, but I, I can't because I don't remember how they correspond to the actual cards. But but pick six. And try to pick six that have different sorts of things. Like, don't pick two that mess with the discard pile or something like that. But pick six. It, Guildhall is extremely good, but pick six, don't play with all nine. And I actually have not played with the L5R version of Lost Legacy, although... We have played Lost Legacy the Starship, which at some point, probably the next, I don't know, at some point we'll have an upcoming episode where we actually talk about that and Pagoda and Istanbul and Freedom and some other board games. Okay, so now, now are we done? Now do we have anything else to talk about? Listeners, can you think of anything? Oh, wait, that doesn't help. Quick. Send us a reverse time email so that it arrives right now. <laughs> Remind us of Those that are... really important thing that we've forgotten about because Gen Con right. feels like it was five months ago now. It was five months ago and it was like a giant massive blur of things that happened. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was gonna say it's And you haven't even had a Dragon Con between now and then. No, I did not go to Dragon Con. That is not really in the cards for me anymore. But I would also tell our audience, you should really not expect us to keep up this two episodes a week nonsense that we've been doing since <laughs> Gen Con. That is not going to happen. No. We might we might give you two episodes. <laughs> yes. Maybe. Yes. What's the if, if you're good? Yes. Right. Leave a comment on the the website on the 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 blog post for this episode and and let us know what you think the over under should be for number of episodes that Strange Assembly lasts. <laughs> I suspect that'll be more than two. I think we'll hit. I think we'll go past one fifty two. But <laughs> we'll see. Something something more than 152, something less than 2,052, probably in there somewhere. Probably, yeah. Yes. We do uh, hope to continue giving you some content soon. Like I said, hopefully in the near future we will have an interview with Reese. We will have an interview with Fred Wan and possibly other story and two people. We will have an interview with Chris Justice, the winner of the, uh, who's Quaylar, who I think went and bought NagaClan.com, by the way. Nice. And we'll have him. He was one of the Big Deck tournament. We're going to have him on to talk about Big Deck. We will talk about Alits. We'll talk about whatever other things people are complaining about with L5R that I don't understand why right now. Because it's the internet, Chris. Because it is the internet. Yes. And by the time we're done with those episodes, it will be time for the Naga Clan to come out. Hooray! <laughs> so. You have been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. 
You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or by visiting our website at www.strangeassembly.com where you can also catch some written content such as Jay's soon-to-be-posted any minute now Doomtown Deck Building Basics article, right, Jay? Ooh. And you can catch us on Facebook at facebook.com slash strangeassembly. And completely coincidentally, our Twitter handle is also at strangeassembly. Who knew? You can email me. Chris at Strange Assembly. I always like to hear from our listeners and readers. But until then, for Jay Earl, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming. Squeak. Oh, no, I just got eaten.